It's the second week of the month, and that means that once again, it's time for questions and answers today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and today is Saturday, December 15th. I hope that most of you caught the announcement in Monday's podcast that we weren't going to be doing this podcast on Wednesday, or or that there was a chance that we weren't going to be doing this podcast on Wednesday, because, uh, to be honest, I was writing this insane paper about Rudolf Bultmann, his philosophy and epistemology, and... Man, it was crazy, but I just have to say, I am so thankful to be done with this semester. This was one of the craziest semesters I've had since I came back to school. I I had so much reading this semester, and I am just, man, it feels good to be done. That's all I can say. It just feels really good to be done. I hope you guys have had a great week and that the Lord has been blessing you. I hope you've had some time to, to relax and really contemplate the the meaning of this Christmas season. And that is, of course, the greatest gift of all that God gave us in Jesus Christ. As you guys know, every second Wednesday of the month, we do a question and answer podcast. And we've got some very good questions this month. I didn't get a lot of questions, but the questions that we did get, I think were pretty interesting. And I think that you guys will definitely get something out of these questions today. I do want to remind you, if you haven't noticed yet, we do have a new member of BibleStudyPodcasts.org, Matthew Graham, who is a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary, which of course is Justin's in my school. Uh, Matthew Graham has joined us, and he's doing a series on the problem of evil in the book of Job. So definitely uh, be sure to, to check that out. We sure feel blessed to have Matthew as part of our team. And also, just to remind you guys, we are going to be having video podcasts probably within the next month or so, so keep your eye out for them. Now that the semester's over, Justin and I are hoping to, to get together sometime and, and put something together for you guys. So uh, be looking out for that. Hopefully that'll be a lot of fun for us and for, for you guys as well. Before we get started on the questions, actually, as always, you know, I, I like to keep, you know, all of this relevant for all of you guys, which is one of the reasons I like to do the, the question and answer lessons. I didn't get a lot of questions this month, like I said, but the three I got, I think, are, are pretty good. And hopefully you think so, too. And if not, well, send me your questions and then we'll all be happy, right? One thing I do want to make clear, however, is that while I do want to be a resource for all of you to use for for getting your questions answered, make sure you pay more attention to what I say than uh, than just listening to the answer. Uh, more importantly, ask yourself, you know, maybe how I arrived at the answer too. That's not to say that, you know, I think better than anyone else or anything like that. You know, I, I know that my thinking is probably way off compared to everybody else. But do know that I do wrestle with these issues before I can arrive at a logical and, and you know, coherent answer, just like anyone else. So 
what I'm trying to say, and, and I, I realize I'm probably not saying it very well, is, um, is that my hope is to not only give you biblically sound answers to all of your questions, but I want to help you learn how to think critically as well. And unfortunately, you know, these days, that's not what our public schools do anymore. Uh, you know, our schools frequently tell us what to think, but not necessarily how to think. For example, you know, they, they teach us believe in evolution, yet, you know, the moment that somebody steps forward to refute evolution, they are either graded down or at least they're thought to be, you know, intellectually inferior. The only reason that most people who believe in evolution do believe in evolution is because they weren't taught how to think critically, even though, you know, it's probably one of the easiest things in the world to refute. I mean, it's obvious that evolution is just totally fake. Living things are contingent upon prior living things. That's a biological fact. Living things are not contingent upon non-living things. That's a biological fact as well. Living things haven't always existed. That's both a logical and a scientific fact as well. So when we put all of these together, the only alternative is that a non-contingent and thus a necessary being must have caused contingent things, contingent living things, to exist. Yet some of the most brilliant people in the world can't put this all together and see this. And most of the time it's because they haven't been taught how to think critically, but the rest who are, you know, probably a minority recognize that evolution is basically a bunch of garbage, but they believe it due to outright denial, and that's intentional on their behalf. They realize that it doesn't add up, but they don't care. They're going to go for it anyway. Anyway, you know, I, I kind of stepped on my soapbox there, didn't I? And, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. But my point is, don't just take my answers at face value, but hopefully you're also seeing the process of critical thinking, and that's kind of my goal for these types of lessons anyway, is to help you guys find the answers as well. And of course, that's also one of the reasons that I'd like to start up a lesson on how to interpret the Bible with you guys, but you know, only two or three people have, have really shown any interest so far. So if that's something that you're interested in, uh, definitely let me know, because I, that's something I would love to do with you guys. But anyway, on with our questions. Um, our first question, Charlie writes, I wanted to know how biblical it is not to get a tattoo. Is it biblically frowned upon? Well, Thank you, Charlie. That's a, that's a really good question, and I appreciate you sending that in. Okay, uh, so let's look at what the Bible has to say about tattoos. First of all, let me preface my answer by saying I have a tattoo. And for those of you who heard my podcast on Romans one sixteen, in which I, I gave my personal testimony, you'll remember that I once had a problem with having an extremely foul mouth, and that I had wrestled and wrestled and, and fought against that, and I wasn't able to do it by my own will. And, um, you know, I talked about how the Lord basically instantly tamed my tongue. In fact, it has now been over four and a half years, four and a half years since I've said a curse word. I can't even believe that. Sometimes that, that just seems unreal to me. Anyway, when I was set free from that, when the Lord set me free and tamed my tongue, and after the Lord had really turned my life around and showed me that I wanted to be a slave to righteousness rather than a slave to sin, I decided to get a tattoo to symbolize outwardly what I had experienced inwardly. So I got a tattoo. I got a padlock chain being shattered around my right uh, my right bicep. So let me just say that this tattoo has opened literally dozens and dozens and dozens of doors 
for evangelism for me. Uh, it has sparked so many conversations. You know, when somebody sees it, they know that it represents freedom, but they just don't know what I'm free from, which has, you know, often sparked a conversation about what I've been freed from. And, you know, I'm obviously more than happy to tell somebody exactly what I have been freed from. So what does the Bible say about tattoos? Well, there's only one verse that speaks of it at all, and that's found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, which says, You shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. First of all, as always, anytime we're reading a passage straight out of Scripture, you know, we have to ask questions. We need to establish the context. So, for example, to whom is God directing this command? All people in general or just the nation of Israel? Well, it was only directed at the nation of Israel. And how do we know that? Well, consider verse 22, for example, in which the Levite priests are mentioned. Well, only Israel had Levite priests. Secondly, let's ask what the purpose of this command is. The context tells us that God was outlining the means by which they would not only be distinguishable from the surrounding nations, that, that Israel would be distinguishable from the surrounding nations, but also to minimize the risk of major illnesses and diseases overcoming the nation of Israel. After all, they were their, their job was to deliver the Messiah to the world. And if they went extinct as a result of a plague or, or some you know huge disease sweeping over Israel, they couldn't fulfill the duty that God had assigned to them. And third, let's let's look at the context and see how uh, how serious this command is, or what the repercussions of this command might be. You know, we know that there are varying degrees of sin. Not all sins are equal in God's eyes, uh, since certain sins, as outlined in the Torah, uh, required a stricter means of cleansing the sinner. And Jesus told Pontius Pilate that the people who uh, who turned Jesus over to Pontius Pilate were guilty of a greater sin than Pontius Pilate himself was guilty of. So we know that there are varying degrees of sin, and sometimes the sinner could be cleansed by simply bathing, and sometimes they would be considered unclean for a period of, you know, a couple days or whatever. In light of this, let's not overlook the fact that there is a means of making a person clean again after every possible sin, yet there is no punishment dictated or outlined by God for getting a tattoo. Now, Again, looking at the context of this verse, we realize that God is instructing the Israelites to make themselves completely distinct from the pagan and heathen cultures that they were surrounded by. It was an ancient pagan ritual to cut, you know, cut yourself or, or mark yourself as a way of honoring the dead. And, uh, you know, some, some ancient pagan religions believed that the spirit of that person would live on in the person who marked themselves or, or cut themselves uh, for their honor. So let's look at some of the other commands in, in the surrounding verses, you know, the verses surrounding this, this particular one. The previous verse, verse 27, tells us, you shall not round off the side growth of your heads, nor harm the edges of your beard. Now, how many of you think it's a sin for a man to shave his beard or to trim his beard at all? Well, probably none of you, right? Okay, well, back in verse 19, we read, You are to keep my statutes. You shall not breed together two kinds of your cattle, and you shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear a garment upon you of two kinds of material mixed together. Well, how many of you think it's a sin to wear cotton and polyester together at the same time? 
Well, you know, again, probably none of you. So is getting a tattoo a sin? You know, it's mixed in with these things that are obviously not sins. It's not a sin to, for a man to shave his beard. It's not a sin to uh, to wear mixed materials. So I would argue that um, the Bible, you know, isn't explicitly answering uh, your question here. It doesn't, it doesn't explicitly say that getting a tattoo is a sin, but we do know from Romans chapter 14, verse 23, that, quote, whatever is not from faith is sin. So is your tattoo from faith? And, and you know, I was talking with Christina, my, my wife, about this verse from Romans, and, and she said, you know, so when we're watching The Biggest Loser, is that a sin? And I said, potentially it is. And, you know, we, we kind of agreed, you know, that anything uh, that distracts us from God is a sin. So, uh, you know, watching a TV show doesn't have to be distracting us from God, but if it does, then it's sin. So, you know, that's that's what it all goes back to. So taking all this into consideration, I would say that it's not sinful necessarily to get a tattoo. However, there is one more thing that you do have to consider in regards to getting a tattoo, and this is my biggest fear about my own tattoo, and that is, are you going to be a stumbling block to somebody? Is your tattoo going to open or close the doors to communicating the gospel to people? You know, I found that while I was living in Las Vegas, it opened a lot of doors. My tattoo opened a lot of doors. But here in North Carolina, you know, it's a different culture here. It probably closes more doors than it opens. So you have to consider your cultural context and be sure not to be a stumbling block and, and, you know, don't provide something that would be offensive to, uh, to other people in receiving the gospel. But in and of itself, is it sinful to get a tattoo? You know, I, I, I don't believe it necessarily is. But thank you for the question, Charlie, and I hope that's, uh, I hope that's an answer that you guys agree with or, or can understand where I'm coming from. And of course, you know, you guys can always post comments on BibleStudyPodcast.org if, if you want to, uh, you know, if, if you want to have a discussion about this or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I'm open to being corrected. I'm not ever going to say that I have all the answers, but, you know, I've, I've tried. That's all I can say. You know, I've tried to, to answer that biblically. So thank you for that question, Charlie. I appreciate it. Uh, our next question is from my friend Jesse on MySpace, who writes, Do you believe in ghosts? I've heard some pastors say that they do and others that don't. I haven't found anywhere in the Bible where it says anything. I am certain that I've seen one and some of my friends and family have too. So uh, thank you, Jesse. That's a, a really good question. And actually, I, I told you specifically I'm going to answer this in the podcast because I, I like this question. I have a lot to say about this. Well, kind of. But um, anyway, well, we can we can find a passage pertaining to ghosts and, and spirits in First Samuel chapter 28. You know, we, we start the chapter by finding out that the nation of Israel is preparing for battle against the Philistines and Ashish makes David his personal bodyguard for life. Well, this is all kind of irrelevant to what's happening, but it's kind of setting the scene. So in verse three, we read that, that Samuel is dead and that the nation is lamenting the fact that he's passed away and that Saul has removed all mediums and spiritists from the land. And as soon as Saul sees the camp of the Philistines, what does he do? He panics. Well, what's he going to do without Samuel there to be his spiritual advisor? So since Samuel can't petition God on Saul's behalf, Saul decides to go to God directly. And what happens? Well, God is silent. So instead of waiting on the Lord to speak, Saul goes to his servants and says to them, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, 
there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So then we read, uh, you know, moving on in our text here, then we read, uh, Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes, and he went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. And, you know, as we read on, the spirit of Samuel appears, and, you know, Saul bows down to the ground to pay his respects. You know, note that he appears to give more respect to Samuel than he does to God. But anyway, uh, Samuel's spirit asks Saul, why he would disturb him by bringing him up. And Saul proceeds to tell him that, you know, they're about to wage a war against the the Philistines and that God has deserted him. So what is he going to do? And so Samuel then proceeds to prophesy of how God has taken the kingdom out of King Saul's hands and he's placed the nation of Israel in the hands of David. And he tells of how Saul's going to lose the battle and lose his life uh, to come. So a few things to note here. First of all, this prophecy came true. And so uh, there's no reason to assume that it was anything other than Samuel's spirit. And secondly, the medium isn't completely shocked that a spirit appeared to her. She was only surprised when it wasn't one of the spirits with whom she had apparently dealt before. And she was, you know, she was also surprised when she realized that it was Saul who had disguised himself. You know, but this all indicates that she had experienced communication with the dead before. So, you know, we know from the book of Job, uh, for example, that demonic forces not only exist, but that they are able to cause physical harm when God allows them to. And, you know, with very few exceptions, and the case of Samuel's spirit being summoned is one of those rare exceptions, I would argue that ghosts and hauntings are actually either illusions, which, uh, you know, for those ghost hunting shows, you know, can result from expectations. You go into a haunted house, knowing that it's a haunted house or supposedly a haunted house, what are you expecting to see? You're expecting to see a ghost. You hear a creak in the wood, ooh, there's a ghost. So, uh, you know, these, these ghosts and hauntings are either illusions or they're demonic manifestations. Now, I've actually, you know, I've watched uh, that ghost hunting show on, what is it? Is it on Discovery or, or A&E or one of those channels? I was flipping channels one night and I thought, well, you know, let's let's see what this is all about. And I realized that those guys see some stuff that, you know, might seem unexplainable. And I've read and I've seen interviews with people who claim to have been able to carry on conversations with a ghost or, or a dead person. And after watching and, and reading all this, I have to ask one question. Why aren't any of these so-called ghosts telling us anything about the necessity of faith in Jesus? They don't have any type of evangelistic message at all. And so for that reason, I believe that it is the intent of these demonic manifestations to lead people to believe that everyone goes to the same place after death, regardless of their faith. You know, if ghosts were, were really the spirits of dead people, then we should either expect them to be saying, believe in Jesus because it's so wonderful spending eternity with him, or 
believe in Jesus because I'm in so much torment being separated from him. It's unbearable. So, you know, I don't deny the reality of the spirit world, but I would attribute pretty much every instance of ghost sightings to either illusion or demonic activity. But Jesse, that is a really good question. I hope that gives you an answer. You know, I don't know exactly what it was that you saw, but, um, you know, I don't believe that spirits are free to just, you know, come out and, and roam the world. You know, I, I don't believe that at all. So uh, thank you for sending that question in. I hope that gives you, you know, a biblical answer. And our last question of the day was actually, this was asked by, by two people. Two people sent me um, emails asking, you know, kind of the same question. Uh, our brother Dustin writes, quote, My grandfather committed suicide just over a year ago. I truly believe that he was a believer in Christ. He was very depressed after his wife died the previous year. The question I have is one that many believers probably struggle with. If a believer in Christ takes his or her own life, will they still go to heaven? I know my own belief in this issue is that I believe he will be in heaven and I will see him when I go there someday. I've heard many different viewpoints on this issue and I know based on your past podcasts that you are not afraid to respond to sensitive subjects. I really appreciate your viewpoint on this issue as well as what God's word has to say about the sin of taking your own life. Dustin, brother, I, I am really just so sorry to hear about this, brother. Uh, you know, really, any anytime anybody takes their own life, it really just breaks my heart. Um, you know, I know that, that it had to grieve you and your family, you know, so deeply, and I can't even imagine how much pain you and your family have, have gone to go through as a result of uh, your grandfather taking his own life. But, you know, first, let me just say, you know, thank you. And, and God bless you for being so willing to, to ask this question. That's a, it's a tough question to, to ask because, you know, there, there are such important consequences uh, at stake here. So God bless you, Dustin. And, and thank you for sending this in. You know, if your grandfather was a believer, uh, then, then every sin he ever committed, either prior to or, or following the moment that he received and accepted the gospel, was forgiven in that very instant. The moment that he became a Christian, everything he had ever done before, everything he would ever do, was forgiven. You know, the, the Roman Catholic Church has long held that a person can lose their salvation and has used that belief as a way of keeping people regularly attending their churches since they believe that grace uh, and, and forgiveness and God's mercy is physically and literally dispensed through the elements of communion. You know, in fact, there's a very famous Roman Catholic apologist. I, I won't name him. I don't agree with him about much of anything, but but anyway, he is so sure that if a person dies in sin, that they'll be separated from God eternally, that he won't even travel on Sundays. His fear is that if the plane crashes, well, you know, he, he was working on the Sabbath. And so he'll die in sin and thus be separated from God eternally. However, you know, I'll have you know that there is absolutely, positively, zero indication in Scripture that if a person dies in sin that they'll be eternally separated from God. And anybody who tells you that the Bible teaches that is is just, they, they don't know the facts, you know, they're, they're misinformed, um, or, or they're having trouble translating the Bible. You know, life is, is precious, and it is supposed to ultimately be God's decision as to when we go to be with him. 
uh, you know, he, he gives life and he has the right to take it. And uh, to take any innocent life is to attempt to replace God. And for that reason, it's a sin. So yes, committing suicide is a sin and it's a serious sin. And, and you know, you know, it's murder. So, you know, I, I definitely would not encourage anybody to do it. Uh, I, I don't even think that it should be an option. But, you know, I understand that that people do it and that depression can be a, a powerful tool of the enemy uh, against us. But, you know, there's only one sin that the Lord won't forgive. And that sin is dying without ever having accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, for the believer, there is absolutely no sin that they can commit that can cause God to revoke his promise. There's no sin that a believer can commit that's too big for God to forgive. Our salvation is secure. It's uh, it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. We were just talking about this this past Monday. It is sealed by the Holy Spirit who seals us with his promise. His seal isn't something that we can break, and he promised us that nobody can take us out of his hand. He also promised us that nothing can separate us from him. So I would say that, you know, Dustin, brother, if, if your grandfather was a believer, then the Bible makes it clear for us that he has entered God's rest and that he will be praising and rejoicing in God's presence for all of eternity. Nothing can separate the believer from God's love. Nothing. He has promised us that in his word. And if there's one thing that I am willing to put absolutely everything on, it's the fact that we can rely on God's word. He won't break his promises to us. So, Dustin, brother, I I will keep you and your family in prayer. I know that's a tough issue. I can't even imagine what you uh, what you must have gone through. But God bless you, and thank you so much for sending that question in. And on that note, that concludes our lesson for today. I hope these questions are things that you guys find relevant to your lives and that this has been a blessing to you. I do want to remind you, as always, that we are a listener-supported ministry. So if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, if you support what we're doing in bringing the gospel, in bringing answers, in bringing apologetics to people through podcasts, if you want to support us and the Lord is calling you to do that, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and you can click on support over on the right-hand side and you can make a tax-deductible donation from there. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I will see you guys on Monday. Keep growing closer to Jesus.